Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. The lives we lead are hectic. Sometimes we feel the need to fill every second of the day with some productive activity. It's not a good kind of life to lead. Today, First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun preaches on this very thing in this sermon called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Okay, please stand if you're able to hear the Word of God as I read it for us. Thank you, choir. Very famous passage. Luke chapter 2. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord shone round about them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. What does it mean when the Bible says that God offers us here on earth peace? For one fun year, the Hawaiian Islands ministry staff gave everyone an American Indian name. One person had the name Sleeps Like a Bear. Another had a different name, Makes Sounds Like a Buffalo. For me, they gave me Darts Like a Bunny. And I guess they feel I zoom around in a hurried fashion. In this busy world that gets faster and faster and faster, how do we have this divine peace that God offers? In the Old Testament of the Bible, the Hebrew word for peace is a word you know, shalom. In the Greek, as the New Testament is written, is irene. Shalom, according to commentator Paul D. Hansen, is the place where chaos is not allowed to enter. Shalom. Wow, what a great definition. Write that down. Wouldn't we all want a place in our souls where chaos is not allowed to enter? Sometimes we're so busy, we're so hurried that we can't help it, it, or our responsibilities at times demands we work at high speed. And sometimes life demands that we need to hurry. Sometimes I feel my own life is always like spinning plates, concerns or engagements with family members or friends, First Pres, Hawaiian Islands Ministries, Koalao Ballrooms, or my volunteer work with Fuller Seminary or Compassion International. But to live a lifestyle of hurrying is not good. Yet it's Christmas time with writing of Christmas cards and shopping and seasonal social engagements with people you don't normally hang out with. Don't laugh. But the irony in this Christmas season is that my sermon title is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's the title of a book by John Mark Comer. But the phrase really comes from a dear friend who passed away six years ago. His name was Dallas Willard. 
Dallas was one of the wisest, caring, most humble, intelligent, thoughtful people I have known. An ordained minister, he was an author of a dozen books. He even translated articles from German into English. He spent 48 years as a philosophy professor and headed up, at the end of his career, the philosophy department of the University of Southern California. His book, The Divine Conspiracy, was named Book of the Year 10 years ago by Christianity Today magazine. Certainly, he's a very busy, very accomplished man. When my father died, I called Dallas to help me with my grief. I needed someone caring and insightful and wise as my father, my father uh, did not commit his life to Christ as far as I knew. I had known Dallas uh, for doing, um, in doing several hymn events together. In fact, I asked him to fly in and lead a Hawaiian Islands Ministries retreat here in Hawaii, but in spite of his being famous, only like 15 pastors showed up for this retreat with one of the greatest men we knew. And his response was so humble. He said, it didn't really matter if there are five people or three people or 15 people at the retreat. He was so centered. I never forgot that. John Ortberg, also an author and pastor and friend, once called up Dallas and asked him, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? And there's a long silence at the end of the line. And then Dallas Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John wrote it down in his journal and then asked Dallas, okay, what else? <laughs> Another long silence. And then Dallas replied, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. He said again, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Really? I mean, how do we do that? I mean, I confess, I have a lead foot when I drive. I mean, I can get, get to couple A in eight minutes. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But um, I drive fast. And, I, and this is for me as well as for you, this talk. So how can we do this? I mean... We have so many things in our lives. We have watches that tell us when we're late, so we hurry. Or if it's an Apple watch, it tells us that we need to get up and walk. Or we have a new email or a text message. And we have deadlines and demands. And golly, this is Christmas with a long list of shopping that I need to do and creating and sending out Christmas cards. Who's in a hurry? But what is the danger of living a life of hurry? If Satan can't slow you down in doing good deeds, he will get behind you and push you to go faster. Corey ten Boom, who helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust, said, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Or throw in the famous Swiss psychiatrist, psychoanalyst Carl Jung, who said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Michael Zigarelli is from the Charleston Southern University School of Business. And he conducted a survey called Obstacles to Growth involving 20,000 people who profess to be Christians around the world. And the killer finding of the survey was that busyness was identified as a major distraction in spiritual life. And here is what he wrote, and I quote, 
It may be the case that number one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to, number two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, number three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, number four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. So how do we respond to these statements, whether from the sacred or the secular corners, from Willard and Ten Boom and Jung and Zigarelli, warning us about hurry? How do we juxtapose that with today's scripture passage, saying that when Jesus came, he would offer us all peace, shalom, a place where chaos wouldn't enter. Are we creating a society and teaching our children and youth and other adults and ourselves that we have to hurry to find peace? Or does Jesus offer us something different? The angels and Jesus say that Christ alone offers us this kind of shalom. So what does that look like? Well, we get a hint when the Lord was here on earth in the Gospel of Matthew. He said this, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And we know there are heavy burdens, whether it's a workload or the grieving of a lost loved one, um, illness. He says, Take my yoke upon you, meaning my way of life, and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What about the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit, who comes in our lives when we accept Christ into our hearts? The Apostle Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. There's that word again, patience, self-control. As to the Holy Spirit, remember Jesus said just before he died, he said to his inner circle, his disciples, I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the advocate, the the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you as the world gives Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. Wow. Like, did you hear that? He says, my peace, my shalom is different than the world's peace, which might be more temporary. So here's my challenge to you all. I challenge you to live at a sacred pace. It's a phrase and title of a book from another author named Terry Looper. Looper is interesting. He made billions in his Texas energy company and got burned out. Today, he he and his wife give 50% of their money to charity, but he burned out earlier in his career. And what he learned from that um, is in his book called Sacred Pace. And he learned he needed more of Christ's in his life, Christ's shalom. There is a sacred pace in life that you could run at. It's a pace that is not hurried. It's a pace 
with Jesus and not one where you leave him way behind. It's a shalom pace. Today, is it not the beginning of the Honolulu Marathon? Um, 26.2 miles. You can't run that length at a sprint. It's not that you shouldn't. It's you cannot. You cannot run it at breakneck speed full out. Your body will break down. Unless you're Kenyan, you're already showering in the races, you know, like everybody's still running. No, you need a pace for us, people. You need a pace where you can make it all the way to the finish line. Now, agreed, sometimes in a marathon, you may need to run fast, but at times, you'll, like, you're running up a hill, like heartbreak hill, as they call it, you need to slow down. Or sometimes it's going downhill, so you can't sprint really fast downhill. So yes, in life, there are times you need to speed up. Sometimes you need to slow down. I'm not saying live like a turtle. But there has to be a regular, sacred pace, a steady pace that will help you finish strong. But not just to finish the race, but that the journey is the reward. That in the process of running the race, it is fulfilling and peaceful. So let's get to the heart of it all. Here's what I want to suggest. If you want to live at a sacred pace, it means that you will have to come to grips with the fact that it will take some discipline. Can't avoid that. To live a sacred pace means, first, we must always seek the presence of God. And to sense his presence means we must be disciplined as if a marathon runner. If you are to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, then ruthlessly means with great intention and fervor and passion to eliminate hurry. You've got to have a plan and you've got to be disciplined. No successful long distance runner can run a marathon well without a great deal of training and discipline. To really feel peace in a run is to know the discipline of your optimum speed or when a cup of water is helpful to be thrown in your face as you're running past the stations or a squeezed water sponge that brings refreshment. It means the ruthless discipline before the race. You need a plan to ruthlessly, seriously, adhere to how to diet, how to eat, how to hydrate, how to sleep before the marathon. So what kind of discipline am I talking about for the spiritual marathon, a life of a sacred pace? First principle, it may surprise you, and I'm not going to hurry through my points. First point is to be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly thankful about everything and taking the time to slow down and thank God for every every blessing that happens during the day. Everyone always wants to know the will of God. And yet in the Bible, it actually tells us, uses those words, this is the will of God. In two verses, and here's one of them. You want to know the will of God? Here it is. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. Here it comes. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is part of the secret sauce to living at a sacred pace. Say thank you a lot. If I could convince you all to do up to four acts of gratitude a day, it would 
be to do this. First, I would say to you, you must, you must say grace before every meal. Not too hard, but you have to be disciplined. To say a prayer of thanks to God that you live in a country where there's an abundance of food and we don't take for granted the food or the people who have prepared it or maybe the animals who've died for it. I am stunned that when I eat with Christians, how most of the time there is no grace set at the table. They just immediately dig in and chow down. And if you want to live at a sacred pace, please take the time to slow down. Stop, say a prayer of thanksgiving every time before you eat a meal or maybe even a snack. Don't tell me you're too busy to say even a 30-second prayer. What would that say about you? Don't tell me you don't know what to say. Just speak from the heart in normal language. Don't tell me you're embarrassed to pray in a restaurant with your Christian friends or your family I mean, what will people say if we like bow our head or embarrassed, ashamed to say thank you to the Lord who provided your meal, who was tortured and died for you? Really? May I remind you of what the Lord said? If any of you are ashamed of me and my words, the son of man, his phrase for himself, will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father of, and of the holy angels. That's when we say, in all of God's people said, ouch, that's a tough saying. Like when he's coming back, he could be like, shamed. Now, I don't mean to guilt you, but bad on us if we are too hurried and hungry to even say a 30-second or 60-second prayer here in the abundance of the United States of America. Sacred pace means saying grace. Hey, how's that for a bumper sticker? Anyway. Now, if you're with a table of non-Christians, I understand how that could make them feel uncomfortable, but you could just bow your head and pray with your eyes open, as I teach anyway, and say a few words to Jesus to thank him. Saying grace is a wonderful daily rhythm of slowing down and feeling God's presence in a sacred pace of life. The second way we live, you're taking notes, a life of sacred pace is what we have taught many times. And um, yet, but you just got to consider doing it. And it's your lifeline for sacred pace living. And there it is, the daily examine. If you've never seen it or if you've lost the guide we handed out before, uh, you can get one at the hospitality table or at the front desk today. Daily examine was created by St. Ignatius of Loyola, who started the Jesuits. It has been used by millions of people all over uh, the world over centuries. It's a simple daily discipline, normally during the midday or before you go to sleep is when I normally do it. And you just think of these five things which our church adapted and put into five action verbs. It spells the acronym GRAFT, uh, a discipline of sacred pace to graft into our lives. So G is for give thanks. Stop in your day or at night and give thanks for everything you can think of for that day. And I guarantee you will, it will start you on a sacred pace. R is for review. For me, the end of the day, which is really hard, but you stop, stop and review every hour of the day and what happened. And review if there are other things to thank God for. But more importantly, review your actions, which leads to 
A, which stands for apologize. You're reviewing the day. Is there someone to say sorry to or to the Lord himself? Apologizing is clearly part of a sacred pace. Then F, forgive. Is there someone I need to forgive or to ask forgiveness from or to receive forgiveness from God or others? And then T, kind of a catch-all, turn to God, turn to the Lord for all of your worries or concerns to be the person God wants you to be and seek his wisdom and trust him. My next suggestions for a life of a sacred pace is to slow down from the demands of work in the world and get into the discipline of reading the Bible. And that clearly will get us into the sacred pace of ruthlessly eliminating hurry. Most of us, most Christians, have not read the entire Bible. And the only time they read it or hear it is when, for many people, is when we say it on a Sunday morning. And that's like always seeing the trailer of a movie but never seeing the movie. So if you invest your time to read the Bible, it will put you more into the presence of God. He will speak to you. And this is not just for the people in front of the pulpit, as Pastor Steve would say, but the people behind the pulpit. Our church staff is super busy, but starting in January, we're going to read the Bible together as part of a just show up discipline, just show up to hear the word. And the congregation is also doing it uh, in January, Sunday mornings at 9.30, and we're going to offer it at, at the Vine every Friday at 11.30 at the HIM office upstairs until construction's finished. Starting in January, JSU, just show up, sorry, will be offered on Tuesdays also at 11.30 at First Foundation Bank Conference Room at Restaurant Row. So what's great is companies and and churches and schools, offices, um, I'm hoping will just spread throughout the whole state. The staff will read together for about 20 minutes every Tuesday. And we offer to the congregation these options, Sunday morning or the vine and all the ones I mentioned. So when you soak yourself in the Bible for an extended time, you feel God, you hear his wisdom, you get inspired for the day, you slow down and feel his presence. And you get the wisdom of the word instead of the wisdom of a secular world. And over the weeks and months, in 90 hours, you'll have read the whole Bible. And um, the way we do it with Joshua is with recorded readings that you've heard on Sunday mornings with actors, professional actors, and soundtrack and orchestra. So um, next year, join or form your own Just Show Up group. The Bible says, and here's with an action verb, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. So we have a lot of preaching and teaching, but to be a part of a public reading of Scripture, listening to already made dramatic Bible readings with music, sound effects, is a biblical discipline for those who want to live a sacred pace. And you can see historically when Israel didn't do that, uh, things got really bad for the kingdom. Terry Looper says, it's really trying to live a life at every turn to consult Jesus on what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and thanking him constantly. Looper says a sacred pace means it boils down to dying to self. It's looking in the mirror every day and saying, 
I am not the Messiah, and then live according to that reality in a humble, sacred pace and seek to do God's will as you have learned in reading the Bible. So I would add one more point, solitude. To live a sacred life means at times finding that time alone in solitude where you just think and meditate on God and his words and talk to him. Solitude is like those pit stops, you know, it's a Daytona 500 or whatever, and you just got to get off and you got to leave the rat race and pull off. And it can be a walk on the beach or paddling your board or just sitting on a sofa in quiet or with soft music. And we need it, especially after a busy day. And you know who did it? Jesus did that, even though he's God as well as fully human. In the Gospel of Mark, we can read this. Right in the first chapter, the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons. He's into exorcism here. And he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is super exhausting. What happens? Very early in the morning, the next day, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. When Jesus was super busy all day, helping and healing people. We often find him in the next scene in the gospel, being alone and just praying to our heavenly father, recharging and replenishing his soul's batteries. Before he made the important decision of business of picking the 12 apostles, he was alone praying. When he was about to be surrounded by the temple guards and then tortured, he went alone to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. Before he started his ministry, he went alone to pray and fast. Bottom line, For a life of sacred pace is to live a life so tuned to wanting to be close to God, to Jesus, experiencing his presence and wanting to do his will. Remember um, George Mueller? I talked to him a couple of Sundays ago. He's a guy who had the list of 100 people and he prayed for them to receive Christ and all 100 did. Amazing. Now, I love his his other thought on this practicality. He said this, nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. The problems in our lives are resolved when you want the Lord's will more than your own. And I believe when you're doing his will, whether busy or not, you will feel his strength. Hear this, a sacred pace does does mean running at times, and sometimes walking. But clearly, as I'm saying, not just always, always running, it also means clearly not always, always walking. In Hawaii, um, we can have a, like a whatever's attitude, you know, be laid back, never run, be always a life of shaka, hang loose. That's not what Jesus asks us to do. Nor is it that I have to work harder and harder and harder to show you know, my love to God or that God will finally love me. It's both and, running and walking. A sacred pace, like with Jesus in the Gospels, is at times you bust your buns and work really hard trying to help and heal people, almost to the point of exhaustion. A sacred pace does mean at times we run fast, but it should be an enjoyable run if you're doing God's will, like Eric Little, the missionary Olympic athlete, who said in real life and in the movie Chariots of Fire, When I run, I feel his pleasure. We can be busy and running and feel God's 
presence. And, you know, I am super busy caring for uh, thousands of people over decades, uh, but by God's grace, I have not burned out. And I feel God's pleasure. Part of it, because you guys are easy to love, but. But there are times we need to walk. And I'm hoping that we can live at a sacred pace, which means at times running or walking or being in solitude is not always one or the other. Life is up and down. And as we heard in Blaine Kimura's Advent testimony, we can go through extreme, exhausting, long-lasting pain of a spouse dying of cancer. But we can get strength and peace even in the midst of losing a loved one. And that kind of peace can only come from a sacred pace for the blames of the world who will need wisdom and strength and for the, for the journey ahead and the community to support and love. And now to land this message. When we read in our Bible passage that the angel says to the shepherds, do not be afraid. We realize we at times live in periods of fear and being afraid. But the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people in the world. And we go, how can that be when life is so unpredictable? I mean, we never know what will happen and where we'll go when we run the race with Jesus. And it was a surprise to to lose Jen Kimura. Um, But like Aslan, the lion, he may seem unpredictable and he doesn't make us safe from all harm. But he is good. And the good life Jesus brings is not for later, but it's for now. Did not Jesus repeatedly say that the kingdom is here now? Not that it's coming, it's coming someday. It's now. And our lives are not just about waiting until we die so we get to heaven. We can have his peace now. The apostles, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, were all fishermen, right? But they weren't always good ones because their nets were sometimes empty. But maybe at times it was tedious and monotonous, maybe even boring. And Jesus offered them and us a choice. He always does. Will we say yes to his adventure or go back to fishing as we've always done our life because it's easy and familiar? The temptation of Christmas is to fall back on the easy, familiar of tradition and secular culture and not see the real Jesus in the midst of it all and miss out on the joy, great joy. Again, we're reminded of the gifts of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. Shalom. And why can we live a life of peace? Because we're reminded this Christmas season that our Savior Jesus has been born to us, the real Messiah, the Lord. Christmas is our Savior's day. And we can affirm that Jesus Christ was born in a manger and that a huge company of angels proclaimed that there's glory to God in the highest heaven and he brings us peace to those on whom his favor rests. And if we accept him, we accept his favor And true shalom can come. And here's the catch. If we live constant hurried lives, then people will say, Jesus in your life is no different than the hurried world. 
Why would I want Jesus when you're running around like a chicken without his head, crazy fast? So I end with this. The great theologians, the saints, Simon and Garfunkel, (laughs) who once sang, slow down, you're moving too fast. You've got to make the moment last. And so kicking down the Christ-like cobblestones, I say yes, walk or run, all with a sacred pace, and ruthlessly eliminate, hurry this Christmas season and beyond. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, We certainly do need all the hope we can get. There's so many distractions, and a lot of it does have to do with our pride. That we're hurrying, trying to accomplish things you don't even want us to accomplish, or we're just not really wanting to do everything of what your will is for our life. And so, Lord, we ask for your grace and forgiveness and the power of your Holy Spirit that wherever we wander and walk or run, that we'll find you walking or running right with us. In Christ's name, amen. Whatever we go through, whether hard times or good times, we can still say how great is our God. But if you're at a point you would just love some prayer, whether it's because of something physical or emotional or spiritual, our prayer team would love to pray with you. And so you don't have to walk alone. We stand with you in what you're going through. And they'll be in front of the Christmas trees here and in front of the choir risers here. And so please, after the service, come forward for prayer. But for all of you, I have a blessing. So please receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may his face shine upon you and its countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love and grace and mercy and peace. From God the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless. This Christmas season, and all year long, receive the gift of Jesus, and the peace that comes with Him. And let's apply these tools we've learned today to help us achieve peace from day to day. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Pres website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the First Prez app and watch First Prez Sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, you can call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, Merry Christmas, God bless you, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2019 and produced by the media ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.